The Detroit Free Press presents Talkin' Lions, your audio home for all things Honolulu blue and silver. Here is your host from the Detroit Free Press, Dave Burkett. Dave Burkett here along with Carlos Menares on a busy Monday, Carlos, uh, Black Monday around the NFL, a number of firings. Of course, the Lions already made some moves there uh, after Thanksgiving when they, they fired Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, and they are now neck deep in coach and general manager searches. And I guess let's uh, let's start with that news. Um, first of all, there's, oh, I think there were about nine names that, that came out today that, uh, I don't know if request is the right word, but that the Lions had submitted their slips to interview coach and, and GMs. Uh, Daryl Bevel, of course, who they don't have to submit a slip for, is going to interview with the Lions on Tuesday. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, Robert Sala, uh, among the other coaches, I know Arthur Smith was reported. I was told that Arthur probably is not going to interview here. That would have been next week anyways. Dan Campbell from the New Orleans Saints also in that mix. Um, they've already interviewed Marvin Lewis. And then on the GM front, not to throw a bunch of names at you here, Carlos, but uh, on the GM front, uh, who we got? George Payton from the, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Brad Holmes from the Rams, Jeff Ireland from the Saints. I know there's probably somebody I'm forgetting there, but does anyone jump out at you? Who is the must-hire, Carlos? What are the Detroit Lions going to do? You know, I'll be honest, Dave. I don't, I don't have a strong sense of who they should hire. I mean, you would, you would guess that Robert Sala is the leader in the clubhouse. He seems like the logical pick. Um, you know, it's just, what is this? Uh, how many coaches now for me? I wasn't really covering the team during the Marinelli search. So, uh, Shorts, uh, what's his name? Caldwell. What's his name? Winningest coach of, of modern Lions history here. Yeah, I'm sorry, coach. I, I apologize to Coach Caldwell. Um, you know, it's just, who knows? I mean, it's just, I, 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 I don't, I feel like, I feel like Sala, Sala to me feels like Patricia and like Vrabel the last time, you know? Those guys made sense. They came from the defensive side. They were supposed to be really smart. Patricia was supposed to be the guy who had this overall sense of the whole team, not just the defense. That's what they're saying about Sala. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, Kyle Shanahan saying that he wants, you know, he, he doesn't want anybody to be smart enough to hire Sala so that he goes back to him, but he doesn't see it happening. Um, you just don't know. You don't know there's what their visions are going to be, what their staffs are going to look like, you know, who they're going to pair with as GM, how that's going to work what Stafford's future. There's so many moving parts on this team. Um, I think it's a lot more, you know, when, when Patricia came in, he had to, he changed the team slowly. He changed it as the way he wanted. Caldwell didn't change it that much, really. He was here to fix Stafford and get the most out of Stafford, but he, there wasn't going to be this wholesale change. This is the, really the first real big rebuild that we're going to see from the ground up. It should be from the ground up. You know, there's some pieces of course, but I don't have a sense. I don't, I just, I think Salah is going to be the guy. He just seems, but I don't, do you have a sense of who it should be or could be? Well, no, I look at Terry Fontenot is the other name that I neglected to mention earlier from the New Orleans Saints, one of the assistant GMs there along with Jeff Ireland, who will interview. Now, look, here's, here's my read on things so far, right? I don't think there are a ton of great head coaching candidates out there, right? That, I think the head coaching, the assistant coaching ranks have been 
have been picked over. And I don't mean that, that some of these guys won't be good head coaches. I think they will. Right. I, I think there are lots, lots to like about a Robert Sala, you know, Eric Bieniemy. obviously we, we heard what Reggie Raglan and, and Chase Daniel said about him. So I think there's lots to like about him, even Daryl Bevel, right. I, not that he's going to be lions coach, but, but I, I think, you know, Daryl's done a good job here the last five weeks and you hear what players, how players talk about him being a leader. So I think, I think a lot of these, these candidates have the potential to be good coaches, but there's just no like must hire guy like there has been in past hiring cycles. And that guy hasn't always worked out. I mean, Matt Patricia was the guy, you know, a couple of years ago, that was the hot, the hot commodity, but there's not that guy this year, you know? And, and so I think that's why you see the names like Urban Meyer and Matt Campbell and some of these college coaches come up that, you know, NFL teams are sort of, you know, they're, they're looking around for, you know, maybe different fits or different, different ways to, to fill that, that spot. And there's six jobs open. And so who, you know, who knows, somebody's going to hire a really good coach and a couple teams are going to hire really bad coaches. And you just hope the Lions are one of them. I agree with you that, you know, Salah is, he's going to be in the mix. He's from here. He's a really good story. You know, I think he would, he would check off a lot of boxes. Um, you know, the name that sort of intrigues me, Carlos, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably alone on this. I, I mentioned him in my coaching stock watch a week or two ago is Dan Campbell from the, the New Orleans saints. When you're talking about Vrabel, you know, he's the guy to me that sort of is that Mike Vrabel, you know, former player leader, you know, in the, the locker room, got to have good coordinators around him, but he's from that Bill Parcells tree. And so you sort of, you know, if it was a him, Jeff Ireland pairing, you could sort of see how that could work, you know, because the lions want somebody with previous experience. Ireland was a GM in Miami. Dan Campbell was an interim head coach in Miami, uh, took over for Joe Philbin. So I think there's, you know, I think there's, there's a lot more, um, you know, I don't know, higher upside names uh, in the GM ranks because there haven't been as many GM hires of late. Uh, but the Lions aren't interviewing some of those names, at least not yet. You know, the Ed Dodds, who, again, my understanding was he, you know, he probably wouldn't want to come to Detroit anyways. Maybe he will. Maybe that changes. You know, Mike Borgonzi from, from uh, Kansas City. You know, some of those names are not on the Lions list right now. They seem to be wanting experience at the position. And that's why, you know, I keep hearing Thomas Dimitrov. That's why I brought up Jeff Ireland. That's why I think ultimately some of those names will be the names that will be in the mix for the Lions at the end of the day. You know, the one thing with Campbell that concerns me and, and with the enemy too, is they haven't called their, the offense or the defense, you know, they haven't, I don't even know if Campbell's been a coordinator. Has he? Um, oh, so can we drill on that for a sec? Because I, I think you're like, you're right. Like neither one of them has, and that's been the concern, right? And that's been a concern with Eric Bieniemy. But if you have the right pieces in place, calling plays, does it does it matter a whole lot? I don't know. How do you how do you feel about that? Like if if whoever I don't know who Dan Campbell's offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator would be, but if Dan Campbell doesn't plan to call plays, if he just plans to be, you know, Mike Vrabel, then does it matter if he doesn't have that play calling experience? I want some kind of executive experience, you know, uh, from a coach. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know, excuse me, how much to read into what Sheila Fort Hamp said about that recently. She kind of was wishy-washy in what she put out to the, I think she a statement to fans about, we want, you know, some internal email, Yep. whether that's more about the general manager side than it is coach who knows. And then she kind of walked it back a little bit later when she talked to us, it's not, a, it's not a must, but if you're going to be a head coach, um, I want you to have commanded a whole, at least one side of the ball, you know, had a whole defensive, you know, team meeting on this is how we're doing it. This is our plan. Um, it's not to say that it's not possible. Um, 
you know, and it, it's understand like someone like Vrabel hadn't even been coaching that long, really, you know, and he had one year of coordinator experience, I think. So it, it, it was, it, it, you know, you, it's a chance. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gamble, I think, to do that. Um, you know, Dan Campbell was with the Lions, you know, and I, we've talked about that a little bit before and just how, you know, he had a pretty good presence to him. You know, anybody who watched him on Hard Knocks when the when the Dolphins were on, you know, he had a pretty good presence to him. Um, but mm-hmm. I'd rather have a guy who's been a coordinator for a little while who has that. I mean, and that's where Salah checks those boxes where he really people just can't say enough. And they said the same thing about Patricia. <laughs> you know, like he knows how to lead man, and everybody loves him. This coach is is. is you know, he's tough, but fair. He knows everything about football, you know, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I don't know, sometimes maybe you do have to take a little bit of a chance if, if you feel better, you know, about the enemy or Campbell um, and maybe they don't have the perfect LinkedIn resume, but you know, that's where you gotta, you're going to have to make that determination. And I don't know, maybe that's where someone like Spielman can sniff it out a little bit more and say, this guy really knows what he's talking about. He doesn't, he hasn't been a head coach and he hasn't been coordinator, but he knows, he knows, he understands the plays are called. He understands the, all that stuff. Um, yep. So it's not a deal breaker, but it's a concern. Do you update your LinkedIn profile? I'm doing it right now. Talk to um, Burkett. Yeah. Now Dan Campbell went five and seven as interim coach with the Dolphins when he took over for an 0-4 Fieldman team, if I'm not mistaken. So you're right. He hasn't had the, you know, the, the executive experience in terms of calling an offense uh, or a defense, but he has sat in that big chair for a little bit. So that's, I think maybe that's why I'm a little more comfortable with him than, than I would be with somebody else who just hadn't had any sort of experience, but look, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. One of the questions I've gotten on Twitter a bunch and on email a bunch is why are the lions interviewing head coaches right now? You know, when they don't have a GM in place. And I just want to put this out there. Um, and, and certainly this is a question that we will ask Rod Wood when he talks this week, uh, because I, I think it's an important question to have answered. But the two things that I understand, and um, it, I, I have to say to Carlos, what you had said about the experience thing, you know, my understanding from talking to people in Allen Park is that they do want experience. They, they would prefer experience. Doesn't mean it's necessary, but they want experience at one of the two positions, if possible, after everything they've gone through the last couple of years. As for why they're, they're interviewing head coaches now, I think there's two things at play. One is if they find the right guy and he's the head coach and they find that before they find the right GM, then they're, they would hire that guy and let him, you know, maybe have some input in terms of, you know, who the, the hire would be at, at GM. And I don't think that's going to happen with the Lions, but they're, they're at least open to having that coach down structure rather than the GM down structure. And then the other thing is just with the way the NFL calendar is, let's say you want to hire a guy like Eric Bieniemy or, or whatever GM you you're bringing in wants to hire an Eric Bieniemy. Well, you need to interview him now because he's not available. If you don't interview him now until after his team is knocked out of the playoffs, which could be, you know, after the Super Bowl. So uh, from an organizational standpoint, you have to find out if he's okay. If your owner president, you know, are, are comfortable with, with whoever the, the, the coaching candidate is that the GM wants to bring in. So I think, you know, I don't know if that these are breadcrumbs for who they might hire, you know, a Sala and, and bring in his GM or a Dan Campbell and, and bring in his GM, you know, if Terry Fontenot is the guy or something. But um, I think that's why it's important for the Lions to, to meet with some of those people now. What's your what's your opinion about who's more important to hire the, the GM or the, the Lion or the coach this 
this cycle for the Lions? Well, I, I think, you know, it's about players at the end of the day, right? You got to have uh, the horses if you're going to win the race. So I, I think, you know, you, you need to make sure you get the right GM. But, you know, that being said, I, I think a, a coach down structure can work, right? I mean, that's essentially what New England is. Bill Belichick has all the power there. You know, I mean, that's what Washington is with, with Ron Rivera. They're going to hire a GM this year, but Rivera is the guy that is essentially the, you know, the leader of that organization. And so, you know, if it was the right person, I think, you know, the Lions should be comfortable, you know, going that direction. I just don't know that given the dearth of candidates out there right now, right. If this was last year and had they made the move last year and they went out and got around Rivera, I would feel comfortable with Ron Rivera being that guy, but they decided to sit tight for a year. And now you look at the coaching landscape and outside of an urban Meyer, who you might be willing to give that control to, maybe there's another college coach out there that you might be willing to give that control to a Matt Campbell, uh, you know, a Lincoln Riley, if, if you were to lure him and he's not coming to Detroit, but if, if that were the case, you would give him that power because he's, you know, he's, he's an impressive enough coach that he would need that. And there would be, that would be the only way to get him to town. That's what I think is, if it's one or the other, if you have a star head coach, then you lean that side and, you know, that's who you focus on. If you have a star, you know, general manager, you know, you go that, you go that route and you make it more attractive and you can sort of pick the coat kind of, and I agree with you. I think, I don't, I don't, who knows, you know, Salah might end up winning five Super Bowls wherever he goes, but it doesn't feel right now. Like there's a star candidate out there, you know, the biggest thing is Urban Meyer being tied to Jacksonville and he wants $12 million a year. You know, that's the the closest thing to a sure bet of any of the hirings, I think. But no, you're right. Urban Meyer or the r- reports that came out yesterday, you know, John Schneider or, or Kevin Colbert. I mean, if the Lions were to be able to lure one of those GMs from a Seattle or from a Pittsburgh, that would be an absolute home run hire. And then you'd feel comfortable about where the organization is. Uh, long yeah. shot, I know. But hey, if that were to happen, I think that would be the you know, the, 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 the best hit the Lions could get. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, I think that's honestly, um, you know, because if you do have a chance at, at Kevin Colbert, you know, with Pittsburgh or, or Schneider with, the, with, uh, with Seattle and those guys have done it, you know, they have done it. And that's what, I hope that that's what Sheila was really talking about. Someone who has experience building a franchise, a winning franchise has gotten them, you know, cause I mean, you're right. Unless, unless Bill Belichick becomes available or, or whatever, you know, or I would even say Mike Zimmer, you know, guys who've once been successful and been, you know, like, unless there's someone out there, Sean, there aren't that many, right? Sean Payton, Pete Carroll's, there aren't that many guys out there who've been consistent winners in the NFL the last five to 10 years. So you got to organizationally. And I, 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 if I were King of the lions, you know, um, I'd still be under Chris Spielman probably, but, if I were King of the Lions, I would definitely say, you know, start with your general manager, your roster building, your personnel, your scouting department, all that stuff, have that in place, you know. And that, that was the unfortunate thing about Bob Quinn was, you know, he was just going to come here to try to be the Patriots, you know, and and build the Patriots. And at first it, it was kind of wishy-washy because of Caldwell, but it, it never felt like I always would have wondered, what would you have done if you had been the guy, you know, if we had like, oh man, we want Bob Quinn. How do you want to build this? Would he have done, tried to recreate the Patriots or we've done something different? Um, but those guys, I don't mind if they try to recreate the the Steelers and the Seahawks, you know, I think it can be done. It's not, it's not so, it, because it doesn't rely on Bill Belichick to make it all work. Um, so 
uh, yeah, I, I hope, I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. And, and as far as the interview process for those guys, for general managers, can they interview them anytime or do they have to wait for their teams to not be playing as well? GMs can interview anytime. That's why you see some of the Saints guys interviewing this week um, and they can be hired at any time. It's different, I guess, if you're a sitting GM, there probably have to be some compensation worked out. But for a, uh, you know, for a, for a guy like, like let's say a Terry Fontenot, right, uh, a Jeff Ireland with the Saints, if the Lions decide to move on one of those guys, they could act immediately and, uh, you know, make that hire, even though the, the Saints may still be playing. So you mentioned Lion being the Lion King or whatever it was. If Carlos, if you were the Lion King for the day, because I wanted to bring up two other things that, you know, we talked to the, to the players today. Today was virtual locker cleanout day. Um, and, and I thought there were two, a couple interesting things that were said. One, Taylor Decker said, you know, he's, he planned to go to Rod Wood and sit down with Rod Wood and, and offer some insight as to, you know, players in the locker room that should be there, that shouldn't, coaches that should be there, that shouldn't. Naturally, Matthew Stafford's name came up and he said, you know, sign Stafford to a lifetime contract. And Daryl Bevel said, you know, Matthew Stafford can, you can win a Super Bowl with this guy. So if you were Lions, if you were the Lions, if you were king for the day, whatever you called it, uh, I don't know, would you, would you listen to Taylor Decker? You know, would you take him up on his word to, to keep Matthew Stafford? Because Carlos, look, whatever you say, I know we've talked about this before, right? And so I, I know I'm probably going down the same rabbit hole that we always have, but you got to admit, right? The, you know, the, not just the performance, but the, the guttiness that he showed to, to be able to get out there, you know, the way that players responded to that, appreciate that, the way coaches appreciate that, you know, that leaves an impression on people. And so from that standpoint, you know, it may be tough to get rid of a guy that, you know, means so much to so many people in the locker room. No, I, you know, you, Dave, Dave, you and I have been around way too long. You know that, the second that Stafford is traded and gone, it's going to be like, well, that's in the past. We're talking about the future now. Even Decker will be like, hey, Matt was a great guy, you know, but this is about the future. You know, we're going to we're going to support Justin Fields and he's going to be the guy now and blah, 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 whoever they draft, you know. Um, so they're saying that now, you know, and there's an emotional all these locker room cleanouts, you know, and Decker said more than usually the guys say in this situation, but you know, I like the leadership of him, by the way, to say that he's going to go to Rod. I don't know that Rod will take it, but I like when players are like, you know what, I'm, I'm invested in here. And so I want my voice to be heard and whether that's about them, other people, whatever. So I give Decker credit. I like what he said in that regard. It was unsolicited. He, he said he wanted to go and, and talk to him and it's, it's not common for a left tackle, you know, who's not Jake long or someone like this, you know, to, to say, um, or who was the guy in Cleveland, uh, Joe Thomas, you know, uh, an overarching, you know, uh, figure in the, you know, to say, I'm going to go, I don't know if he even want, if he's even going to open the door when I knock on it, but I want to go talk to him and say, you know, you guys signed me to a contract. I want to win here. I want to stay here. I th- I believe Stafford's the guy I'm going to lobby for my dude. Um, yep. really good for him to do that. That's true leadership, by the way. Um, and I'm not going to names, but you know, let's just say someone's name who rhymes with Matthew Stafford has never really gone that far and saying he's lobbying, you know, the only person he's ever lobbied for Jim Bob Cooter. Come on. He lobbied for Cooter. There was the one guy he lobbied for because Cooter let him do whatever he wanted. Uh, I'm sorry. I take that back. Um, as far <laughs> as and all that, I don't know. I know. He had some sit downs with Rod Wood, like dinner with Rod Wood. I don't know if he went about talking about, you know, players or who should go, who should stay, what they need, but you know, we don't know exactly what goes on behind closed. True. He's, he's never publicly told us that he's 
done that on his own. Like I'm going to go to Rod or I'm going to go to whoever Bob and, you know, but maybe they normally have a sit down or something as a exit interview anyway. But um, I, I like it. And, you know, once if Decker gets to talk to Rod after he pushes Dan Orlovsky, Pete Schrager and you out of the way and gets to sit in that chair and advocate for Stafford, um, you know, I, I understand that there's a lot of respect for Stafford in the building. I, I get it, you know, and, and he has he's played through a lot, you know, but in people aren't going to like that. I say this, but ultimately when players want to play, you know, especially Stafford on Sunday in the season finale, I kind of thought that was a selfish move on his part. Um, You know, he wants to prove that he can get out there. He wants to prove that he can throw the ball and, and he knows he's playing a terrible defense by the way. So he's going to throw three or 400. Um, And there was a play. I don't know if you remember this, but it was in the first half and, you know, he was all, you know, he, he couldn't move very well. And there was a, there was a play. It was, he was looking downfield right to the middle of the field, left of the field. There was a huge opening to his right. And I think it was, you know, whatever, first and 10, second and 10, whatever. He could have easily run for a first down. It was, it was the, like the sea had parted. He either, he didn't see it or he didn't want to run, but that's the kind of thing where a guy who's not compromised can make that play easily. And that's where I feel like he was, you know, like we've talked about this before. He, he, he's worried about Wally Pip. They're all worried about Wally Pip. You know, they want to make sure, you know, and Stafford knows he needs to raise his value. He want, he needs to prove, you know, if he doesn't play that last game, oh, well, Stafford couldn't finish the second to last game. He didn't play the last game. Is there something wrong with him? Should we trade? I don't know if we should trade for him. You need to keep your value up as a player, even when you have a contract you know, you need to make sure that everybody, and especially in football, that you're out there. Because look at what they're saying about Kenny Galladay. Right now, Kenny Galladay is taking a lot of heat, you know, because he didn't show up. And why couldn't he? And stack that's the this week. Stack down. Make sure you click on it. Um, no, look, yeah, I stack down. I, uh, I, I'm definitely not litigating this again about Stafford's toughness and whether he should have played and all that. Um, but you know, I, I will say, and, and and look, I firmly believe that. You know, he, he's been here 12 years and he hasn't won anything. And I don't think he's the biggest reason for that. Right. I don't think he's, he's the biggest part of the problem, but I also think it's okay to move on at this point. And, but in order to move on, you have to have somebody, you know, that's, that's, that can take over and who knows if there will be a capable person there. So I don't advocate trading Stafford. Um, I, you know, but I, I would be fine and I would advocate for drafting the right quarterback to sit behind him for a year to play behind him, <clears throat> but we'd have to see how, how that plays out. But Carlos, the one thing that, that struck me yesterday, I was watching that Sunday night game because I had to, you know, write the lions draft order story and it wasn't going to be complete till after that, that Eagles Washington game. And I couldn't help but thinking as, you know, as the Eagles had Nate Sudfeld, you know, on the field, you know, for the, the final quarter, just, you know, barfing all over himself. And, you know, the, the, I mean, the entire game was a, a, a sham there in the fourth quarter. And you could even see it as they cut to players on the sideline who are looking like, what is going on right now? Like, that's what struck me like about, that's what the Lions would be. Like, I, I feel like that's what Lions players would be like if they got rid of Stafford and decided to go with Chase Daniel and a young guy or whatever it is, right? Like, they would be like, what are we doing? What, what am I doing that, why would I give everything I have for this organization that doesn't give everything to me in return? And again, there are bigger picture, you know, there are bigger picture, 
reasons why you may make that move. And I'm not saying don't, I'm just saying like the way that players respond to Matthew Stafford, I just sort of got that sense watching that game yesterday that if they moved on from Matt, that there would be enough players who would, who would just, you know, who just wouldn't understand, wouldn't grasp the move when a guy plays 12 years for an organization and plays through everything that he plays through. And then all of a sudden you get rid of him and you start this rebuild over when he still has, you know, good years left in him. So again, I'm not saying it's the wrong move. I'm just saying that I think that's, you know, maybe one thing that we don't take into account on this side that you do have a locker room that responds to Stafford. And so I don't know, does that at all factor into the decision for the next coach slash general manager slash Spielman that comes aboard? Well, I hope, (laughs) I hope that, I mean, one thing, the Eagles thing is a mess with Carson Wentz wanting a trade and all this stuff that is just a, you know, a, a poop show over there. So I, you know, that's, there's more to it than just what are we doing with Nate Sudfeld? You know, um, that's a whole nother thing. But with Stafford, I mean, let, you know, the, the players, let's not forget this. As much as they might respect Stafford, they all know that he's dealing with things that they deal with all the time. Trey, Trey Flowers just told us he was playing with a fractured forearm, okay? We and, broke it in the game. But, yeah, he was going to come back. in the game. He was going to come back. Even yeah. Though it might and, yeah, and, and so they've all had issues. You know, Jeff Okuda probably should have had surgery before the season. They're all dealing with things, and as much as you respect Stafford, they all know it's not just a question of, you know, if you're going to get replaced, it's when you're going to get replaced. You know, not for long, right, in the NFL. So they know this. Um, they don't ultimately really care that much about, you know, oh, a 12, and, you know, a 12-year veteran, how, how can you get rid of him? I mean, honestly, the same reason that you're saying you don't have a problem, you're not advocating for them trading Stafford, but you don't have a problem getting rid of him. You know, the reason you don't have a problem getting rid of him is because he hasn't done it. He hasn't won. If he would have won, if he was going to win, he would have won by now. I mean, it's just, if he beats the odds and, and Jim Caldwell tells you that he's in year 14, quarterbacks really start taking off, you know, then maybe he's going to do it. Hey, and I will say this, if Stafford goes somewhere else this year, next year, whenever, and he wins there, I will be the first one to write. I was wrong. I apologize, you know, for Stafford had it in him the whole time. And, you know, but this constant narrative of he's not the biggest problem and, and he's still good and, and he gives you the best chance and he's the best since Bobby Lane and all there's so much equivocating when it comes to Stafford. It's like, how about if you just do it? How about if you just win? How about if in, how about if in 2014, you throw to Calvin Johnson instead wide open in the middle of the field, instead of to, you know, face guarded Andrew Pettigrew. Okay. How about that? How about you make a play when the chips are down, when everything's on the line in big moments, you know, Um, it's not all on Stafford, but like I wrote, I wrote it today, you know, he he needed to play great this year. He played well, played good, but he needed to play great. And that's where this franchise has been. They've needed a great quarterback to lift them. They needed an Aaron Rodgers type guy. And Stafford isn't that guy, you know, which is, you know, that's not his fault. He is as good as he is. But maybe you need that Lamar Jackson, that Patrick Mahomes, that Deshaun Watson, that really potentially game-changing just another level to get you to where you need to go. Carlos, I think you are right in a lot of what you said, but there's only one Patrick Mahomes. He's a generational talent. So those guys don't come around all the time. And, you know, with, with Stafford, you're right. That's 
you know, he, I don't know that he's going to win here. And that's why I, I am. You're right. I'm, that's why I'm comfortable moving out because after 12 years, it hasn't happened. But um, I totally lost my train of thought with what I was going to say. But that's all right. Because, because no, because I, I think when it comes to when it comes to, to moving on from from Matthew, you know, if it happens, um, you know, he's had plenty of time, you know, here in Detroit and, and he hasn't got it done. And the bigger part of it, this is what I was going to say. The bigger part of it is not like, I don't see the lions next year as being this, this great Super Bowl contender. And this is, this is, I guess this is why I'm, I'm comfortable moving on because when you look at the big picture of things, right. He's only has two years left on his deal. And yeah, Matthew has several good years left in him, but you also got to pay him and he's also going to be 33 and he's also had these injuries. And so, you know, by the time you're ready to contend, where is he at from a contractual standpoint, from a health standpoint, where might a young guy be? I think all of that needs to be factored in. And that's why I've, I've always been okay with that move of, of drafting the young guy and preparing for that guy to take over for Matthew, because after 12 years, maybe it is time for a total rebuild of this organization. And I know you're going to have something else to say on Stafford. I can see that, that finger up here, like you're, uh, you know, Austin powers or whatever, but um, I, I do want to, I want to throw this out there because as usual, we go long. So I just want you to, as you ruminate and say, make your last point about Stafford. I also wanted since you mentioned Jeff Okuda and his injury, I also wanted to bring up what he said about the dysfunction in Detroit this year. And, you know, he compared it to, he said, you know what, you come from Ohio state, you come from a blue blood program like that, where you're used to everything being great, right? He lost four games in three years and he lost four in the month of November in Detroit. Right. So he certainly was not used to what he was stepping into and the dysfunction that was here. I, I give Okuda credit for, you know, talking openly and saying some things that other vets wouldn't and acknowledging that he was part of the problem with the injury and just not communicating clear enough. So I liked what Jeff Okuda had to say today, uh, but I think it also everything that he said points to why, you know, they're dropping a bomb on the organization right now and rebuilding everything. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as you said, you didn't know what he was stepping into. He definitely stepped into it when he used the word dysfunction. He's going to get a little talking to about that from probably Rod Wood or someone else in the organization, maybe Daryl Bevel. Bevel kind of said he wanted to talk to him. He was very eager to talk to him. Probably that was one of the reasons. That's a strong word to use, dysfunction. And we all know that there probably is, has been a lot of dysfunction, you know, with Matt Patricia and, and Bob Quinn and it was a very, maybe it changed a little bit later, but at the beginning, it was a very top heavy management style. You know, um, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. You know, um, you know, and even, Jeff, even Okuda, when we asked him, you know, what was the big thing you took away from your time with Patricia? And he said, do your job, which is the New England thing, right? Do your job. Everybody's got to do their job. And that's kind of how, you know, you're a, you're a chess piece. You're a pawn in those organizations. You're you have a specific job, do your job, you know, don't try to do more than what your job is. And that doesn't sit well with all players. So, you know, and I, you know, this is the great thing about Akuda that people don't understand. He's a really smart guy, you know, and he's the kind of introspection it takes to say, I came from a program where everything's great all the time. We win. We don't have any of these issues. It's, it's nothing, you know, we're, we're just, we're winners who win and he come here in the NFL and it's like, and I'm sure he looked around to, other friends who are on other NFL teams and like, wow, we lose a lot and we get criticized a lot. And we got mean guys like Dave Burkett, you know, giving us stock downs, you know, so, you know, as opposed to the Columbus. Off. I wrote that back in September. Don't do it yet. Young guy, first year, 21 years old. Don't write him off. Yeah. So yeah, he, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm, let's say there there's, there's dysfunction in almost every 
sports team, right? The pro sports team, any team, but especially the struggling professional ones, uh, there's going to be dysfunction. There's going to be problems. And when you have coaching changes, that's, you know, that's a symptom of it. So uh, yeah, he said what was real, you know, and I hope that, I hope he doesn't get too chastised for talking to us that way and being honest about that because, you know, sometimes you need that, you need that to move on. Um, you know, so I hope he has a bigger voice. Hope he's not worried about, you know, voicing his opinion, but he's, he's I, absolutely right. I don't you know, think, they, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, just, I, I think his, his point was more better communication probably right yeah. from, the front office coaches on down to the players. And I will say, I did not take it as Bevel was angry about that comment. I, I think he, he just was saying like, yeah, you know, you have a certain perspective and obviously Okuda went on IR shortly after Bevel took the job, did not play a game after Bevel was interim head coach. So he said he wasn't around him there that much. So he, I think his point was that, you know, if I was around him, maybe he wouldn't have seen the dysfunction or maybe I could understand the dysfunction that he was talking about and, and help, you know, help, you know, teach him in that regard, right. Help, help him realize, you know, what's, what's real about the NFL, what's not, what, what you have to get through. And so I, I think that's all part of it. And look, like I said, don't write Jeff Okuda off as a player. I wouldn't write Matthew Stafford off as a lion just yet. And, and certainly I, I, as I said, you know, I think it's, it was good to hear Taylor Decker take some leadership, um, you know, to, to be a guy that's willing to put himself out there and go to a team president and say, you know what, these are guys in the locker room that we can do without, these are coaches that we need on our staff. You know, these are my thoughts. Do with them what you want. But I, I like a, a person who's willing to do something like that. Carlos, I'm going to go back. Because we got, because uh, we've probably been going way too long here. And we're going we're gonna to do another one of these this week because there's, you know, Rod Wood is talking and there's so much, you know, coaching and GM stuff. But you got the final word. Stafford, whatever you want. Not even going to get a rebuttal out of me. So go ahead and say what you want here. Well, my, I, I just had a question for you. It's a quick question. You can answer it quickly. It's just quickly. when you were... <laughs> When you when you're talking about Stafford and he's the you know best quarterback who's ever played or whatever, sure, he's the <laughs> toughest quarter, toughest NFL player in the history of the Second game. Best after Olavsky. Go ahead. Well, let me yeah. Well, let me ask you this: How much do you think that's going to color with when when the GM, especially the general manager, comes in and coach when they come in and they interview? They're they're going to read what's being what's being said about Matthew Stafford. Uh, that's don't you think that's going to color their opinion? Like, wow, this is going to be really, I'd like to move on from Stafford. I'd like to see what I can get for him in trade, but I'm worried that he's too popular. Like what, how much is this going to affect them? Do you think? So I'll tell you two things. I actually, I, I don't think it will. As I said last week in our video, right? Yes. Um, Stafford will, or I think the GM will lean towards keeping Stafford because that's what, you know, they're conservative by nature and, and they can, they look at a situation and I'm going to win next year and this guy's going to help me and he's a good quarterback. So ultimately I think the next GM and coach will want to keep Matthew Stafford. Um, it's that sort of thing that we talked about before, right? Where, you know, you got a couple coaches fired, not, not personally, he didn't get them fired, but you, why you can outlast the coach in the NFL when you're a good player, a good quarterback. But if a GM really looks at it, I think there are enough people in this town that are saying I'm comfortable with getting rid of Matthew Stafford as good as he's been that after 12 seasons that that GM can take some, some comfort or have some cover uh, if he wanted to draft a young quarterback and say, Hey, this is the direction that I'm going down because I can see, you know, down, you know, on the not too distant horizon that we're going to need a quarterback and, 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 you know, given Matthew's age and contract and health and everything else. And so I, I look at it a little bit different and I, I, I can see that next GM looking at this and saying, man, there's a lot of people in town that are 
you know, for getting rid of Stafford and I'm for keeping him. So maybe I need to broaden my horizons a little bit, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, even though I really want to keep him, maybe I'm okay with starting to plan for the future a little bit. Yeah. And, and I, just my last thing was just like, I, there's three prongs to it, right? It's ownership and the top management people like Rod Wood, what's their opinion of Stafford. Then there's the Taylor Deckers and the players, like what's their opinion of Stafford. And then there's the media and the fans, you know, like what's their opinion of Stafford. And we know the players where they stand. We generally know where the media and fans stand, but then Rod and Sheila, where they stand, they may end up being the deciding vote on how much you're willing to let the GM wheel and deal and make, keep their options open and whatever it might be. Um, so I, I just I do just worry that a little there's a lot of information those guys gonna have to deal with. The fourth prong is what Matthew Stafford wants to do. And he has not spoken about what he wants to do, or he has not said clearly what he wants to do. And that is why a lot of people, myself included, do wonder if he wants to go start a new somewhere else. And when Dan Orlovsky is speaking, maybe on your behalf, or you know, what, what some people believe, but when Dan Orlovsky is putting it out there, that maybe maybe Matthew Stafford would like to go somewhere else to finish however much longer he has left in his career, right? Two, let's say two years on this contract, another five years on the next one. If he, if he wants to go somewhere else to finish his career, I think that has to be taken into account too, that, you know, the guy's been here for a long time and you don't want an unhappy quarterback an unhappy leader. And, and, you know, frankly, maybe you, you, you know, part of you does want to see him go and have some success somewhere else. So I think that's something that, you know, the next GM, coach ownership everyone will have to consider as well what's your best guess because Stafford's never going to tell us what's your best guess what he wants well I think um you know as he said right he has to get away from the season and decompress and sort of no I think if you talk to him two weeks ago you know maybe if even if you talk to him today if you talk to him a month ago when everything was going crazy left and right he would have wanted out and maybe he does today but Maybe when you come and sit down, it's like when Kelvin Johnson told everyone he was going to retire, right? And Barry Johnson, not everyone, but when he first told people he was going to retire right after that season, and they said, take some time to think about it, right? And when Barry Sanders told some people after the last game in 1998 that he was thinking about retiring and, you know, people just kind of brushed off, ah, it's the end of the season, right? You'll change your mind. Maybe Matthew Stafford doesn't change his mind. I don't know what he's thinking, but maybe he doesn't change his mind what he's thinking right now. But I also know that, you know, when you, you have some time and some separation from what's going on in a season and, and all the grotesqueness of everything that's happened. And, and, you know, you can sort of sit down with your family and you can relax and you can maybe see, well, all right, I like this coach. I like the moves they made. Maybe things do change a little bit. So um, that's why people always say never, never make a decision, you know, right after the, uh, you know, the, the dust settles on a season and, and see what happens down the road. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Even though I told Carlos, I give him the last word. I'm going to take the last word because we're probably closing in on the 30 minute mark once again. So that'll do it for us. We'll have another one of these at some point this week.